It's Wednesday, September 22nd, episode 211. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. How's it going, Tyler? It's going good, man. I'm awake, happy, about to get another cup of coffee. But uh, yeah, dude, life's good. How about you? Awesome. Yeah, life's really good, man. Life's really good. So instead of doing a Today in Tech History today, uh, you have done some pretty cool stuff with your solar panels on your roof. And I figured maybe let's just dive into that real quick. Let's let's catch the folks up with what's going on in Tyler's solar panel yeah. world. And then we'll get to the news. Sure. No, I like it. Um, one of the things that I looked at uh, and, and almost influenced um, where I got my panels from actually was the ability to get like panel level monitoring stats. And I had learned that the supplier and I, I guess actually the you know the OEM of the panels that I ended up purchasing, which is their SunPower panels, um, they they generally don't give uh, end users access to panel level data. It's obviously there. And when you say panel level data, just just for yeah. the just for the average you know the average bear out there, right? Sure. Um, you're saying so within all of the solar panels that are on your roof, what you're trying to do is understand how much electricity each panel is generating based on its exposure to the sun or exactly yeah, whether exactly. it's dirty or whatever. At any given point in yeah. time, you can see level, like live levels. Right, right. And so That's you awesome. can imagine, um, you can imagine like uh, there, there are situations where as a user, as a, as a home user, it would be useful to know that there are say a certain chunk of panels, you know, maybe on a certain part of your roof that are producing a quarter of what every other panel is producing in the morning. And if you walk outside, cause you notice there's a trend in that way and you realize, oh, well, that's because at 824 in the morning every day during summer months that I have, you know, a, a random tree branch that just happens to shade that part of the roof and nothing else in my backyard. Well, maybe when I get around to trimming my trees, I can adjust that. Um, I'm not gonna cut a tree down for solar panels or I wouldn't put them up in the first place, but but I, I might trim a branch to unshade those panels earlier in the day to produce more, more uh, electricity. In fact, I'm looking at my dashboards now and I'll, I'll walk through this a little bit, but I do, I have a swath of panels that are under producing compared to all my other panels and it's it's possible that they're misreporting or that the just the sun just started to get to the point where it's really energizing the panels, and so it just looks that way in the data because the data only gets updated every I don't know ten or fifteen minutes. It's not not super super fast. It's not polling constantly, or even if I polled constantly, it's not spitting it out. But long story, I'll, let me get back to the beginning. Basically. The, the way that my panels are monitored um, is, is sort of a combination of things. There's something called a supervisor unit. That supervisor unit is sort of the brain. It's just a computer that has a lot of inputs and outputs. It's also got some USB ports and- uh, Where does that sit? Some, some ethernet. It sits right next to the um, emergency cutoff for the the panels themselves. And okay. any any solar installation that's in a city you know, will, by code needs to be able to be shut off. Like you have to be able to cut the generation side uh, off at, at a certain point in the electric um, design, right? And then just next to that electric cutoff is a sub panel that actually has all of the uh, circuit breakers, 
breakers for um, panel arrays. So my panels all have microinverters. There are pluses and minuses to using panels that have microinverters versus ones that feed a larger inverter, right? Um, yeah. And uh, so mine are all microinverters, and that means that you can daisy chain them. You can put them in series, and then they come back into the system. But each individual plan, uh, panel is actually outputting through that microinverter AC power, so power you can use. Solar panels are going to produce DC power natively, and then you use an inverter, and it creates AC power so that it's usable by your, your home. It plays nice with the grid, right? Um, Mine are, like I said, uh, microinverter panels. They're set up in, in series, many blocks of series. And each one of those series of panels, I think it would be 12 in a row, each one of those series has an individual breaker. Well, all of that feeds uh, a sub-panel, and then the sub-panel uh, goes and actually ties back into my mains, You know, the, the power that's coming in from the grid, because I have a grid-tied system. And that means that I can both use electricity from my city uh, or my provider. If you're sharing a if you're sharing a wire diagram right now, I can't see your screen. <laughs> yeah, no, this I'm is not. complex. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, <laughs> I'm so I'm grid tied, and and that just means that um, I I am able to both use electricity from the city and I can use elect, uh, electricity from my panels, and my system will actively overproduce and dump back to that grid. So in my case, that my my uh, electric provider will buy back electricity. Um, does that really work? It. Like it does. Yeah, that, that is the piece of all this that blows my mind. Oh, and hey, look, Russell, Russell, uh, Russell, Russ, Russell? Um, Big Cantwell just joined the show. That is my and, name. Yay. Oh my gosh, did you just say my last name correctly, dude? I've yeah. been saying it first try. For like fluid, for like a few days, and all one try for yeah. for a whole few yeah. days. That's awesome. Yeah. I can imagine you just walking around your house. Cantwell. 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 Yep. Cantwell. Yep. <laughs> Dude, picture a montage. I'm I'm eating breakfast and in between bites, I'm just saying it. I'm showering. I'm washing my armpits and I'm just saying your last name. This, this is know? like a Rocky getting me for a fight montage, but you just, you know, right. repping my name. I like it. <laughs> okay. So I'll just say that part there again real quick. And then I've got another question. Um, and then let's get to the news. But the the fact that you can actually send power back into the grid from your house blows sure. my mind. The fact that our systems can handle that and the fact that is the power grid actually taking that power and using it for other people? Like, are they yeah. capturing that at their well, like, I main mean, it, substations or? Okay. I, I don't know. I, I've never read uh, exactly how our grid handles it. But if you think in general, the the grid is just designed to take electricity from lots of different electric providing plants, right? And then distribute it to all of the houses. But it's not like, it's not like a water pipe. It's, I mean, you can imagine it being similar, it, but the, the biggest difference is there's, there's not like an amount of electricity waiting to go into your house. But as soon as you plug something in, it demands and pulls from the grid, right? Right. And so- Yeah. It's basically as, like, a, it's devices, a fluid, right? You can imagine- yeah, it, are flowing the, back the, the other direction. The difference, the difference being that, like, yeah, exactly. I, actually, that's probably the biggest one. Is that the difference is that in in the water coming into your house, there's constant pressure trying to push into the house. You open a tap and it flows out. In the electric grid, if there were constant pressure, everything would blow up and catch on fire. So there is no constant pressure. The grid is always at 
basically zero. It is producing as much electricity as is being consumed. And if it's overproducing, we dump it literally into the ground because you can't have pressure in the electric system like you can in a water system. You can't put it in a tower. If we could, you know, mm. we would actually. In fact, those are those are problems we're trying to solve, mm -hmm. trying to figure right. out better ways to store electricity. electricity so that so that when somebody plugs in a big old device, it doesn't mean you have to turn a, a power plant on because that doesn't happen instantaneously. So we overproduce, we dump, um, and and we we play that balance. So now that there are lots of smart meters out there, meters that are intelligent enough to know kind of you know could we use more quote pressure in the electric system? It's possible for us to backfeed into the system. And I mean for all for all I know, the electricity I'm producing, my neighbors literally right here are using it. But uh, you don't get to see where your where your ones and zeros go, or they wouldn't even be ones. It's your your sine yeah. waves going in a certain direction, right? It's just meeting the average. It's it's part of what's meeting the demand of the system, and uh, and and it could be part of what's being dumped, I imagine too. But uh, and and I I don't know how much electricity gets just dumped. I assume it's quite a bit, but it also probably gets scaled back quickly. It's it's an interesting it's an interesting problem, right? And I'm sure there are arrays of batteries and things like that. I, shoot, most most Is companies no pressure? will have There's... some kind of thing. There may be some, but but I would say it's it's very little, right? Well, because electric, you know that yeah. that extra. Well, so in the example water, there's capacitance, and that would, yes. would kind of be in like the example pressure. of water voltage would be the. No, not really. Yeah, um, voltage so, would so be kind of like can't, the pressure. You, Right. No, you, you can't compare them that way, right? Because so voltage is the potential, and the voltage of our electric grid is is fixed. Uh, it's not fixed in like really really fine. It's not always 110 at your outlet, but it's probably 110 plus or minus two volts. So it, if there were a voltage drop, then we would have all kinds of problems, right? Like machines would stop working all the time. So our voltage is always the same. The, the amperage is the flow, right? If you're trying to compare it that way, but the amperage is what, what changes the power demand so dynamically. You plug in a device, your device is going to run off of 110 because it's plugged in, or it's gonna run off of 220, which just means that it has two hot leads. Like that's how your house is wired. There, there are at least two hot arms coming into your, into your house. And then there's a neutral so that you can complete loops and stuff like that. Those two hot leads, have your mains right they have 110 and 110 and if you have an outlet that uses one hot lead and neutral then you have a 110 outlet that's most of the outlets in your house if you go to your electric dryer outlet it's going to use a, a circuit that takes advantage it bridges both of those hot leads and one of those plugs is going to be 110 one of those plugs is going to be an or the other one's going to be 110 and then uh, you're going to have a ground you probably wouldn't have a neutral in that case i think modern uh 220s can in certain situations but the but my point there is that it's always one 110 each one of those mains is always 110 for voltage but as soon as you plug a device in if if it's a phone charger you're going to have a that little transformer that little block and that transformer is going to use a clever circuit that's going to take the 110 alternating current ac current out of your wall convert it to in most cases for phones, like a five volt or a 12 volt, uh, five volt for a phone, DC current, a direct current, 
that can go and charge your battery and run your device. And that's because most devices are going to run off of that, right? There are advantages and disadvantages to having a grid that's AC versus DC. In fact, a lot of Europe has DC grid, um, which is interesting, but I'm not going to get into that either. M my point being that thinking of voltage as that kind of potential, like pressure, probably isn't the right way to look at it because the entire grid is always going to be sets of 110s. And so really what's changing is when you plug in your device, it's going to draw amperage. It's going to draw that amperage at, at 110 volts or multiples of 110 volts. And as soon as it draws that amperage, the grid is going to provide additional amperage. But you can't just store amperage at, at city scale, and you can, obviously, that's what whole home batter, battery backups are. If the battery in your phone is storing amperage at a certain voltage, right? So a certain potential, your phone has amp hours for five volts or five volts plus or minus something, right? So, so really, like the grid has to provide amperage as soon as you need it. And it can't provide extra amperage or like I said, everything would catch on fire. So it yeah, is actually, literally so on demand. Is that is that part of the reason why since you don't have a I don't know if this is how it works but since you don't have a battery or maybe when a battery's full you send some of that back to the grid since you're you're taking this yeah. in anyways and they can store yeah, that's, it or that's what that's what started it but it's unlikely that they're storing it right because we produce too much for that it's more likely that we're able to take advantage of smart meters now and just sure. say. Yep, the grid can accept your connection, even even if that means at the end of the day that a power plant is actively scaling back production or dumping into the ground, like literally just putting amps into, you know, copper rods that go into the earth. Because right. I, I would be shocked if it doesn't work that way, but I'm also not that kind of electrical engineer. But yeah, that that's that's the gist, is that if I overproduce, my electric company says, oh, great, I'm going to credit you. The meter is going to pay attention to current flow the other way. And if, if the current's going the other way, then they're going to give me credit for that electricity, but they're also going to go basically distribute it to other customers. Hopefully they aren't just dumping it into the ground. And uh, I'm back. Can y'all hear me? <laughs> Lost you. We yep. can now, yeah. Sorry, yeah. My um, my internet went out. So, uh, well, are y'all still talking about electricity? We are. So we're, we're, we're about to we know Tyler the mostly. education session. <laughs> but so what I did, because I didn't get panel level monitoring, they didn't want us to have access to that. And, and I understand the reason why is that if I can see my panels all the time and one gets a little wonky, I call them and I'm like, hey, I have a wonky panel. So I'm a support call now. And they say, yes, but it's working within the warranted range of production. So go away. <laughs> It's okay. crappy. Now, now that you've created your own panel to see, I'll you're going to be the every time. Case. Absolutely, because I don't care if they want. I don't care if they want me to say, "Oh, well, my system's working within 95 percent," because I could have a panel down and technically be in that range. But if I have a panel down, I want it replaced by warranty, and I want it replaced as soon as possible because it's part of my mm -hmm. break-even calculation. So, what I did is I took a couple Raspberry Pis. After some, you know, sleuthing on the internet, I found out that the that that supervisor spams panel level data out of the management port, which is just an Ethernet port, right? Um, and that you can use a Raspberry Pi as an HA proxy to basically get that panel level data with a with a command. Um, I'm not sure if it's always spamming or if you actually have to tag it, but um, so 
it's it's there. And then I was able to set up another Raspberry Pi with Home Assistant, which is an automation you know platform, an open source automation platform. And through some some other little containers running on that that proxy Raspberry Pi, and I can actually get individual panel production statistics uh, over time and and instantaneously. And I, I took a few hours to do that this weekend and last night, and boom, I got it. So now I have pretty little dashboards that tell me that panels 24 through 39 are underproducing, and I want to know why. And that's I've seen actually it, happening right it's now. It's true. It does have them. I've seen pictures. That is crazy. Okay. That's going to end our little section on Tyler hacking solar panels. Uh, <laughs> thank you for letting us know with a minor little education. In, uh, out of curiosity, I came in, I came in 24 minutes late did he just talk about that for 38 minutes <laughs> no we were waiting for some time for tyler's headset to charge it was one <laughs> okay. of those things like didn't land on the base station or whatever uh and then we were talking about a bunch of other stuff so but if you're here for the pre-show then you get the the pre-show antics that happened before we hit record uh so go join t.me slash tech breakfast and uh come join us in the uh in the community chat in telegram it's awesome it's awesome okay uh, let's see what else is there to talk about. And Tyler, thank you for that amazing rundown. I'm incredibly impressed with your hacking, uh, hacker skills there. That is awesome. What else? All right. Let me get this one out of the way. We haven't talked about this yet. The, um, let's see. The Apple event was last week on the 14th, about a week ago, just flat out. I was completely unimpressed with the event. There was nothing notable, nothing notable about the phones or iOS or watch OS, et cetera. I nothing thought made. the mini was hot. Maybe I missed something cool. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just not I'm just not an iPad guy. So I thought uh, I like the mini. Um, I like the fact that they actually modernized the design of the mini. I had a mini years ago. I actually, well, I had a mini actually from EMC World, probably 2014 or 15, something like that, with the very first iPad mini, I think, that came out. I won one at EMC World. And uh, I ended up actually selling it to a buddy because I had a similarly sized sort of 8-inch tablet at the time. Mm-hmm. And but I, I always liked the minis. I, I thought um, I think they I like that they exist because <clears throat> Google was making seven to eight inch tablets for a little while and they were very popular. And then they decided, well, these are too popular. We should stop making them. And that's literally what they did. Uh, I, it's insane to me. But the the iPad minis, I think, fill a good gap and they modernize kind of the the approach there. I think the struggle with some of the iPad minis is, is that some, some phones are getting so big and uh, the all important foldables are coming to light and they're going <laughs> to replace them eventually. But I, I thought, I thought the mini was good, especially since they lauded just how incredible USB-C is and the fact that they're putting it on the iPad mini, uh, oh. which did trigger me quite a bit. I was frustrated in that moment. I missed that part. You can't sit there and just talk about how great USB-C is and the universality of it and the convenience of it and then just, you know, launch a phone right after it and be like, yeah, we're not not even thinking but about it. We're not going to do there. Did, yeah. did you see there was some uh, there was some news today um, in, um, let's see, where, where was it? AppleInsider.com. The EU is pressing more on the USB-C charger legis- legislation uh, tomorrow. They should. So the European Commission will soon present a legislative proposal. If I could get that word right, legislative proposal that could institute a common charger for mobile devices in the EU, possibly forcing Apple to ditch Lightning for USB-C. You know, in not that Apple cares even remotely about me at all, but I would have a dramatically higher shot of buying my next phone as an iPhone 
if it had USB-C. Like Whoa. in order of magnitude, more chance. Yeah. Without it, there's zero chance. Yeah. There's no there's that. no way I buy it without it. So I, yeah, that's that, just uh that's, that's just something I, I it's non-negotiable. Like they have to do something about it. What I'm terrified about is the rumor that they're gonna ditch the the physical connector altogether. I well, I guess not. What? That oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet. Just fully go wireless. Well, yeah, fully go with their um not happen. what do they call the the thing that sticks on the back, the magnet thing? MagSafe. MagSafe. So they're like completely gonna go with MagSafe, which I, I sit here and think to myself, like, but what about cars? Yes. That was you immediately know? my first thought too. Because a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you have more and more wireless charging in cars, but again, it's rare. Um, and then the the Apple um, CarPlay stuff works really well when it's plugged in. Yeah, and, and it, most people don't even have wireless Apple correct. CarPlay. Like my truck has wireless Apple CarPlay, and the only way I was able say. to get it so was getting a brand new head unit that was the yeah. most expensive one that Car Toys had, and was the only one about whatever it was six months ago that they yeah. had that had wireless. Apple CarPlay and and right. Android wireless Android, so it had both of them. So that was sort of the unique aspect of it. And but I heard the that fact the wireless... that that's so rare is strange. Yes, exactly. And so just the world isn't ready for a a um, a portless, entirely portless uh, phone. I don't Agreed. think. Hundred percent. And the the CarPlay stuff, from what I've heard, drains the battery just massively. So if it actually does. It going, then you yeah. yeah then you have to be you have to also have wireless charging in the vehicle. Otherwise, there's no way you're going to go do a road trip and not be able to plug your phone in. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I uh, so I use I use wireless Android Auto all the time because I you know I take these little small trips to drop my daughter mm -hmm. off to school or my mom's or whatever. Uh, but I I've noticed even in those small instances that the battery drain is dramatically higher than it normally is. So I was curious about it on um, Apple as well. So I I used um, connected it with an iPhone. Yeah. And it was the same. So it just, it, what's interesting to me, by the way, I don't know if you knew this, maybe everyone knew this, but I didn't. It doesn't connect over Bluetooth. Well, the, the iPhone may, I'm not real sure because I, I haven't used it as much, but the Android auto connects over Wi-Fi. So it is a Wi-Fi connection that is connected to, to make this okay. happen. Yeah. So it connects to the head unit, at least Android auto does via Wi-Fi. I can't, it's been a while. I, I can't remember if that's how Apple did it or not. Um, but I thought that that was incredibly interesting that it connects over Wi-Fi in order to do that instead of Bluetooth. I think I just made this assumption that it would be Bluetooth, um, but it isn't. So, you know, the more you know. Yeah, I'm looking it up, not seeing it. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, no, it uses Wi-Fi. There it is. There you go. So they both use, use Wi-Fi. So what's amazing is my wife, you know, we I think I've mentioned this on the show. We bought a 2021 <laughs> Expedition. It's... Uh, Limited edition. It's got all sorts of bells and whistles on it. Does not have wireless Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. Yeah. See, it's not 2021. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, the iPhone 14 anyways, better not be totally portless. Wireless do not port. go portless until you've done USB-C for at least 10 years. That's that's the rule. <laughs> at least 10 um, years. Yeah, yeah. That's not arbitrary at all. That's definitely something to, to consider. But keeping it with the Apple news, uh, TechCrunch is showing that and I think this is a great idea, by the way. And, and I have a pro tip for maybe people who don't have iPhones, but um, Apple Wallet is getting verifiable COVID-19 vaccination cards. And I recognize that this is not universally loved, that a lot of people mm -hmm. 
don't want to have a COVID-19 card, even if they are vaccinated, some people don't like the idea of having to show it. The reality is, in the world we live in, if you want to go exist in it, there's probably going to be some places where you're going to need to show it. So having a digital, and and I would would argue fairly secure, I mean, it's Apple Wallet where you keep your credit cards, right? is a pretty good option to be able to to work with this and verify it. And if you don't have an iPhone uh, like myself, uh, one thing that I did when I got mine recently is I actually keep it in um, my password manager because you can keep all sorts of things there, documents and credit cards and your passwords, obviously, oh, yeah. and whatever else. So yeah. I, I, that's where I keep mine is actually as a, as a secured document in my password manager, which functions in a very similar manner. So if you don't have the Apple wallet, um, maybe try your password manager if you have one. If you don't have one, I recommend you getting one. Um, so you'll have multiple reasons to be able to do it now. But I thought this was a good move uh, by Apple. Yeah. And I suspect Samsung and Google and others will probably do something similar here soon. Nice, man. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, okay. Sorry. So in trying to in trying to research how some of this works and when the, um, when the driver's license was going to land in your Apple wallet as well, I'm I'm trying to find something positive or like something that's impressing me from the Apple event. Um, just a bunch of little things that I don't even seem to really care about. Uh, one of them, share play. You can keep FaceTime conversations going as you watch TV shows and movies or listen to music together. So historically, you know, if you're, if you've got, if you're in FaceTime and you leave the app, it just like shuts off your camera, right? Yeah. Or you can't see the other person anymore. They now allow picture in picture with you can do FaceTime while you're watching a show, um, which I guess seems kind of weird. But I guess if you want to watch a show with somebody um, mm-hmm. or just allows you to multitask and let them see that you're multitasking because they're going to instantly know that you're not paying attention to them. So <laughs> anyway, uh, and then there's this uh, whole I think, focus you know, the, one, the one thing I'll say um, on the, the event was the and, and I know this isn't specific to the event, but we should call out Google for their idiocy whenever we have the opportunity. Apple is releasing an iPhone 13 and a, or 13 Pro and a 13 Pro Max. The only difference between them is the size and battery. Google seems to be confused by this idea and thinks what they should do is, is release a Pro and a non-Pro that are different in memory, different screen refresh rate, different camera setup, different size, all sorts of different things. I'm surprised they didn't put a damn lightning cable in the smaller one because like this is just <laughs> it drives me crazy that you make one a stupid design decision on the pro which i'm probably going to get because i want the camera set up but you have this little curved screen and i recognize how minor of a deal it is it's still a stupid design decision but then on the one that has the flat screen and is a more reasonable size not much smaller it's like 0.3 of an inch smaller <laughs> you don't have the camera set up and you have a 90 hertz screen which i could get by but where's the cameras it's stupid. So you know what, Apple? Good job on everything except yeah. for the lightning port, you know, and the lack of a, a application tray of some kind, which you really need to add. But that's not related to the event. So I, I respect them for making the same phone twice, just one bigger and one smaller. You know, that's that's all I'm saying. Because Google didn't do it. it yeah, good mad. job. You cut up. You cut out. But I think Aaron said good job. Not something. Still cutting out. Yeah, dude. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. But you this sound so different now. Yeah, I just well, I switched over to my phone. Oh. I do not know what's going on with my laptop today. It keeps wanting to disconnect from the internet, and so let me just switch to my phone. This okay. is uh, 
this is a beautiful example of how well these conversations can work in Telegram. Because literally, I can just flip over to the mobile app and join the call instantly. I was going to say, you did that really quick. Yeah. Uh, Man, well, it started doing the little clicky thing. It, it It gives you a little audio signal that, hey, we're having trouble connecting to the internet. I don't know what's going on, man, but, um, internet messes up sometimes anyway. it happens. Yeah. No, I was just, I was making a joke about, yeah. Congratulations, Apple for not changing anything. Same joke. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. the only other major thing that I saw, they, they have this thing called focus. Um, so you can focus. filter notifications. Yeah. You, you can filter notification types. So like you can tell your phone, Hey, uh, this is now personal time or this is work time or this is sleep time or this is do not disturb or whatever. Um, so if you click work, then you get work notifications and uh, nothing else, right? You don't get any, you know, your, your personal stuff doesn't, doesn't jump in and, and give you notifications for, you know, Hey, your friend posted on Facebook or whatever. Um, Does Apple so- have a separate work and personal profile on the phone? Is that a thing? Mm, no, no. You, no. It's just one. Yeah, it's one Apple ID. But I guess what they're saying here is, I'm not a guess, but you can you can separate. Hey, um, when I'm in work mode, then that means these apps, and I want yeah, notifications yeah. around these things, and I want you to mute everything else. Or if I'm in personal mode, I don't want to have work notifications, which I guess is pretty cool because I ended up going to two phones. So that way, when I was um, quote unquote stepping away from work, um, I would stop you know checking work email while I'm trying to play catch with my kids you know what i mean so yeah there's it's there's Which, a, there's a complete logical separation on android of work and personal if if your um if your organization chooses to use it you don't actually have to um yeah. you can still manage the device without the work profile but you can disable the work profile entirely like it, it's not like you sign in to the work profile you literally just go into your uh app drawer and you have two different tabs, personal work, and they'll show apps. Sometimes they'll show the same apps because those apps are not allowed to communicate with each other. They can't, they can't oh. cross the different profiles. And all you do is you hit a little uh, ticker and just say, you know, turn off the work profile. And it'll, you know, all applications will, they won't run in the background and they won't send you uh, notifications and stuff like that. So they, it's like a, it's, there's like a logical sort of separation that they build into the profile management between work and personal. Uh, that they do, so they, it's not quite. It, it's it, they kind of achieve the same thing through through different means. Can you hear me? I can hear I'm you now. All kinds of issues this morning. So it finally failed out. The conversation on Telegram on my desktop finally failed out, and then suddenly it muted me here hmm. on my mobile for That's whatever reason. <laughs> all right, man. Um, let's see. Yeah, let's move off of that stuff. Uh, cool. I'm curious. Did you? And I'm about oh, to have a hard stop. So. Um, I have yeah, yeah, yeah. Time. All right. Well, let's let's cover this one real quick. And we lost Tyler right after all his uh, electricity stuff. I guess he had a call from his boss. <laughs> his, like. his electricity went out, ironically. I <laughs> <laughs> got him. No, no he, he got a phone call. He had to jump to. But okay. Um, cool. So SpaceX, and I'm I'm excited about this one because we just ordered Starlink. Um, but SpaceX's Starlink will come out of beta next month. It looks like, and I didn't realize it was still in beta at the time. Um, but with 600,000 orders, SpaceX is boosting this dish production to hopefully meet demand. You, you so, just ordered Starlink? Yeah, we did. Uh, not for my house, uh, but for that, if you oh, uh, followed yeah, along. Yeah, yeah. 
on the Twitter is the Hundred Acre Wood out west. Right. Us. Yeah, I was yeah. I was so confused. I'm like, surely Flower Mound could do better than Starlink. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, but, this yeah. Uh, so this place out there, there's no way to get internet connectivity uh, unless you do satellite, or you could do like a point to point. Um, you know, with with like you know somewhere local with a tower on the thing, but you'd have to go to the highest point on the land, which is there's a building there and then put a 10 yeah. to 15 foot tower on top of that. Oh yeah. And at the top of that, then you've got a point to point connectivity. And so it just seems a little yeah, crazy I know that life. wind and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Not doing that. And then the other one was to, uh, to run a cable, uh, from a local, uh, local provider, but it would cost, uh, seven to 10 grand just to run the, uh, the, the fiber up from the, the road. So seven to 10, really? That's, yeah. Not as bad as I thought, but it was years ago. A buddy of mine, in fact, you know him. He's a friend of the show. His dad worked for Cisco, and I can't. He he could verify this, but I feel like he had to spend fifteen or twenty grand to run a line to his house in Prosper way before we had like any high speed internet out here. He ran a T one mm-hmm. line to his house, um, and it was it was probably double that cost uh, if I had to say. But uh, certainly interesting and doable. But yeah, the Starlink thing is. Is interesting because my parents, you know, just bought a lake house or lake condo, and they don't really have any real good options for internet out there either. It's some weird satellite options, point-to-point stuff, just like you're sort of yeah. discussing. And it's sort of expensive. It's not very fast. And and I know Starlink is good because a friend of mine has been in the beta for six nine months now. Um, and yeah, very low latency. I've heard it's a couple it's... hundred throughput. I mean, it's it's pretty solid for them. Yeah, the only thing I've heard is it's not consistently reliable. Right, I'm just dropping like two percent of packets. Two percent. Um, oh, what, what's okay. super interesting about this is the fact that this entire Ars Technica uh, article is hinged on the fact that and this happens seemingly all the time. But there wasn't an official Starlink announcement. Somebody tweeted at Elon, and Elon responded with the question of when does it come out of beta, and he just answered next month. <laughs> so that prompted See, an, art, an article. Here's the thing about that. That's like Elon as a man after my own heart, because I think that's (laughs) how I would be if I were Elon. Like someone would reach out and ask me a question. I'd be like, yeah, I mean, it's going to be next month. They're like, okay, cool. So that's like the official announcement. Yeah, sure. I guess whatever. (laughs) That's that's sort of the way I work. Like when I work with customers, they ask me questions and I'm like, yeah, it's this. And And then like, I'll get these looks from people, especially like vendor partners are like, did you just say that? I'm like, he asked the question. I knew the answer. I I don't know. <laughs> like it's just that's that's how I would be if I was a billionaire CTO or, or CTO. Yeah, yeah CTO, I mean, here's, why not? Here's how it went down. So September 17th, this is last week. Elon just gets on and he, he tweets, uh, "Good feedback from FSD beta 10 users. 10.0.1 point release rolling out now. 10.1 rolls out a week from Friday with beta request button." And then a user with about a thousand followers named Overshield who says he's a 26 year old Halo player. Uh, just said, when will Starlink come out of beta? And then Elon says next month, <laughs> and then and then it blew up into something, right? It's just you got to make sure those twenty six year old Halo players have what they need. So even more <laughs> respect now, because now we know the real reason why he responded. He saw that and he's like, "Ooh, this guy needs me." All right. Oh man, good um, stuff. So it goes on. Uh, SpaceX began sending email invitations to their public beta uh, in October of last year, twenty twenty. And 
Uh, certainly, the service is par, uh, far from perfect, as uh, you know, trees can disrupt the line of sight connections to satellites. Thankfully, where I'm at, uh, it'll be on top of a building, and there will be no trees disrupting. Um, and then there's something interesting here: the satellites can go into thermal shutdown in hot areas. Uh oh. Yeah, I don't know about that. What's so a hot area? Is Texas considered hot to them? Uh, let's see. Once the dish hits 122 degrees Fahrenheit, it goes into thermal shutdown. Yeah, that can happen sitting in the sun. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Almost seems like you need to, uh, in, in Tejas here, you probably need to build some form of something around it to try and keep the sun off of it as much as possible without obstructing the, the line of sight. Yeah, it's just, uh, this just got me thinking about this. Or I need to uh, like rig up uh, some sort of system that sprays it with water. Um, you know, that's that's auto triggered whenever the temperature sensor on it hits 115 degrees or something. What's interesting to me is, and I don't know the answer to this question. I got to go, so I don't know if, we, and we don't have Tyler here to answer it, which I feel like he could. Um, is this a problem for other satellites like Dish Network and Directv and? You know what I mean? Like I, I've never. I'm. I, it makes sense to me. I, I get it. I understand the thought behind it. It's just surprising because I feel like I, I thought we sort of mastered dish technology long ago. But the, I guess you can't beat thermodynamics entirely. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. interesting. But yeah, this one it shuts down at 122, and then it gives you a signal and says, uh, or a note it says it'll reboot or it'll turn back on once it cools down to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Huh. Cool. All right. Well, I guess shut this sucker down, and uh, I'm sorry we missed Tyler for the rest of the uh, the episode. But yeah, quite quite an interesting later. episode. <laughs> That's for sure. With uh, <laughs> me coming in late, Aaron having connectivity Audio problems, challenges. Tyler jumping, but uh, it's all good. Uh, that'll do it for another episode of the Tech Breakfast Podcast. Please like, share, give us feedback, tell your friends about it, tell your family. Um, we think it's family friendly. We, we try to be. So hopefully you're comfortable sharing it with your family. Uh, if not, please let us know. And until then, we'll catch you next time. Later. <laughs> Russ, sorry. There's one last thing. When you said family friendly, I was at Panera Bread the other day and there's a big <laughs> sign, an advertising sign for one of their dishes. And it said family friendly flatbreads. <laughs> I, was like, I think this is what? something you're not. What? Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> well what's wrong with the other ones <laughs> <laughs> the other ones they'll they'll be rude to you they'll just be quite frankly using uncouth language and, i feel uh, as though i'm uncomfortable eating inappropriate stories. normal flatbreads now <laughs> oh, all boy. right we're out of here see you all right later